0: Hey, common scientists. We are coming to you this week with the topic of anime, and I'm guessing many of you are familiar, maybe some of you are not. When I say the word anime, though, what comes to mind? Is it drawings? Is it animation? Maybe some of you are thinking, Disney, you're way off, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, but we're gonna get into anime and talk a little bit about where it came from, some of the maybe most popular anime that is consumed today, um, and we'll get into even some science that might be behind anime animations and, uh, using drawings to, to elicit response and feelings in fans. So I'll kick it to Dre to give us just a little bit more context about anime. I think you'll find, of the three of us, he is the biggest follower, fan. Oh, I don't know what you... Okay.
1: okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So let's hear it.
1: Yeah. So I've been watching anime for as long as I could remember. As long... Like, even before I even knew it was anime. So, like, it never talked before the cast. And he was like, you know what I never realized? Pokemon is an anime. (laughs) Because <laughs> we talked about obviously preparing for the cast, and it's like, no, I haven't really watched any anime this and that, blah, blah, blah. but it's like a lot of us who grew up watching cartoons like a normal American child, <laughs> we watched anime like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon, and so many more, and they really, really influenced me, right? Like, who didn't want to be the very best like no one ever was? But I never <laughs> knew that these were animated. These were Japanese cartoons, Japanese animations. I had no idea. So, I mean, it, it's uh, as long as I can remember, like I said, I've always been engrossed in the anime culture. Even before I knew it, I've loved them. They've always been my favorite medium of storytelling mm-hmm. and art, and it's definitely shaped some of my beliefs, and, or at least reinforced some of them, and it definitely inspired me. Even today, when I see some uh, characters and how they uh, persevere, mm-hmm. it's really inspiring for me, and anime means a lot to me.
0: Yeah, awesome. I, in preparing for this cast, I was like, oh man, I have heard of anime. My friends keep telling me to watch it. Um, Every time I log in to play D&D for those of you who don't know, Dungeons and Dragons, every time I log in, they'll be talking about whatever they they most recently watched. And I'm like, man, I'm missing out. Uh, But I guess I wasn't because I also did watch Pokemon some growing up. And not as much as I would have liked to, because it was on Cartoon Network and I wasn't allowed to watch Cartoon Network, only PBS Kids. And, yeah, I did wish that I had a Pikachu, like for good portions of my childhood, Mm -hmm. and wished that I could have been, at least I saw Pikachu and, what's the character's name?
2: Ash, catch them. And Ash
0: as kind of the, these underdogs, it seemed like they were always fighting these bullies, and it really resonated with that growing up. But yeah, it was just like not allowed, and so I, I was feeling so foreign coming into this cast, but I'm learning so much, and I think anime has a lot of value to provide to the world, and the, what did you call yourself, not a viewer?
1: Oh, Otaku. Oh, <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> okay. What does
1: that mean? <laughs> Um, to my, I think sometimes I get the terms otaku and, like, weeaboo mixed up, but essentially it's just, like, an anime fan or someone who's, like, really into it, and it used to be a derogatory term back in the day, 40, 30 years ago, but now the otaku culture's so big, and manga, which are, like, Japanese comic books that anime are, are a lot of times based off of, manga and anime are so big that it's just, like, the culture, like, you don't, it doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, there's a manga or an anime for you. So now otaku is really like a sense of pride as where it used to be like kind of a joke.
2: Yeah. Huh. What is so what's the difference between manga and anime again?
1: Manga it would be like a comic book, but okay. then anime is like the cartoon of animation.
2: Okay. Fascinating. You you said it's your favorite medium. Have you ever tried to make your own manga?
1: Uh, uh, me and a couple of my friends, we've kind of, we have, like, a tentative, like, a tenuous, soft, hey, we're going to make a manga one day, (laughs) and there's a, uh, there's an anime based on a couple kids who want to be mangaka, manga artists, um, what's it called, I can't remember what it's called, but, like, Bakugan or something like that, and it's really, really good, and it's really, like, slice of life, like, realistic, and shows you how strenuous uh, the life of a mangaka is, and I could never aspire to be that. Uh, because they have more of the Isaac Asimov work ethic (laughs) than I have. Um, But, yeah, I definitely would like to shoot my shot. But the problem is, with being a manga artist, is usually you have to be a pretty good drawer, a pretty good storyteller, have a very good sense of, how mangas work and the call and all like you have to have all this understanding that i don't have not saying i couldn't make one and i would make one just for fun but just saying like i i'm just telling you i don't have any delusions of being like some great manga artist at this (laughs) point of my life or (laughs) an anime maker anything like that but definitely it would be really really fun to possibly write for an anime someday um like an Mm -hmm. english dub um which would be like when you translate it from japanese to english Maybe I'm awesome to do that or perhaps like write for like a Japanese video game. Um, something like that is definitely a dream of mine. Wow. Do you know Japanese? Um, I've studied just the bare minimum, so no. <laughs> no, but I do aspire to one day. Okay, cool. cool. Is
0: there a phrase or like a common term that you would want to share with our listeners that is Japanese that you feel confident on?
1: Um, I would have to think of it, maybe I'll think of something, yeah. um, but right now I do actually uh, teach my dog in Japanese now. And it's something I I've, I've want to do for a long time, because, or should I say Emily's dog, not my dog. but <laughs> something um, that I, I remember well. uh, a guy teaching his dog in Russian, Russian mm-hmm. commands as a kid and just being like, yeah, mm-hmm. because most people don't know Russian, so therefore people won't be able to talk to my dog. Um, and give them commands or anything like that, like, he's my dog, whatever. And huh. I also like, I like that idea of, like, having that special relationship with my dog, whereas most people aren't going to understand what I'm singing to him, but he knows. And then also, like, he's not going to hear these sounds and in other incoming sure. speak, right? Mm-hmm. So just, like, a couple words, I, I will talk to him. and I don't know how a Japanese person or a native speaker would teach their dog, but just the words I kind of know. So, like, I'll tell him, like, kite, which is, like, kind of, like, come... Um EK, which is kind of like a really strong form of like go. Uh, mate, which is like wait. And then like I'll say Dame, which is like no good. Like I don't like whatever you're doing, it's not good. Um so those are kind couple of bold, like commands that
2: I give them. Hmm. The more you know. Yeah, I uh I have limited exposure to the language, but growing up I I mean yeah, like Jay said, I, I recognize that Pokemon and, and all these other shows were anime mm-hmm. uh and so my personal experience i i had that background uh like many other people i think my in my age group uh besides that you also recommended attack on titan mm-hmm. and lauren and i watched a few of those episodes and then i blew past her and watched the, <laughs> the rest of the first season that's available on netflix and uh Yeah, I mean, I just was so engrossed in it. And I thought, I mean, it was just, there's something about it that is incredibly catchy and really uh, drew me in, uh, in the case of Attack on Titan and Pokemon. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I don't know if, if you lauren or dre want to want to speak to some of that like what what might make anime so catchy
0: yeah i as aiden said i watched some of attack on on the titans plural.
1: attack on titan
0: attack on titan okay <laughs> uh and i was very engrossed it was uh addictive for sure but i also have kind of an addictive personality and personhood so that's something I'm aware of it was engaging there was a phenomenal storyline never before well maybe not never before but I think it's pretty rare in movie tv to see uh maps to help contextualize like I can Mm. think of Pirates of the Caribbean and I can think of oh gosh one other that had just popped into my head Game of Thrones, I think, sometimes will show a map to contextualize. Um, And that was phenomenal. I was like, wow, you get this great visual. I can see it. I can picture it. But it was a little bit too dark for me. A little too yeah, challenging to take in, which was crazy because I was like, whoa, this is cartoons. And I think that it's a little too dark for me. So that was kind of wild. A wild experience. But if you're not freaked out by Dark, I would I would recommend it. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenally put together. And then in my research for this cast I learned a little bit more about anime and that there's actually some science that can draw our brains in to um, continue watching and that that can be involved or used in like the building of cartoons. So um, if you think of Something there's something called the Gestalt Principles, which are a set of scientific principles that explain that our brain fills in when we perceive something uh, so that it's whole and that makes our personhood or our psyche f- feel a little better. And I'm kind of extrapolating a little bit from, from the hard science to, to better understand this idea. But for example, if you see part of a circle, right, that I'm doing with my hand, if you're watching on YouTube, you see a circle. You don't just see, like, two chunks of a circle, right? Like, your mind completes the picture. Those are gestalt principles. And when watching or consuming cartoons, if a scene comes to an end and there might be a lot of, like, unfinished geometry, your brain might want to continue watching to finish the geometry, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And who knows if it's even intentional? Intentional? I bet some of these um, drawers help. What are they called? <laughs>
1: mangaka. Okay,
0: mangaka. It
1: depends if they're if they're making mangas, mangaka. But otherwise, okay. I don't know animators. Okay,
0: yeah. animators. <laughs> I'm I'm sure artists. I think I feel better about. But I'm sure they're so good at what they do that they feel that a picture is unfinished, right? They get to a point and they're like, oh, this would be a great pivotal moment in the scene. They probably feel the unfinishedness rather than assessing the picture's geometry. But I read an article from the Los Angeles Times that I think speaks to this idea of visual perception and geometry and how that plays into animation and drawings. And it says, animation is a topic that everyone likes but more importantly for us, it's also a topic that lends itself to exploring areas such as visual perception, geometry, scaling up and down, physics, and computer rendering. And this was a quote from David Bibas, a CSC technology program curator. And then he goes on to say, we also have some extraordinary full-body experiences that really explain both the process and the concept. So. I was a bit surprised to find when looking for some science in anime and how I could bring the common science perspective to this shared experience of anime that dominates a huge part of American culture now, I think, and and for sure like Japanese culture. And was a little bit surprised, but excited to see that there too, there is some science. Mm
1: Mhm. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, too with... Tr- with trying to understand anime influences, like I said before, like there's an anime for every single person in a lot of cultures now. Anime isn't like oh, it's a cartoon for kids. That's why people don't call them cartoons. Really, be- obviously they're anime, but also because when you say cartoons, it either has a uh, connotation of being for children or being like kind of yeah. nostalgic. Even when as adults we watch cartoons, it's usually nostalgic. Um, and we just kind of watch the Disney one, so we're not just like surfing through Netflix watching Shira and whatever else is on there. <laughs> but but with and I don't know Shira might be an anime, I'm not even sure. But <clears throat> to my point is that so for example, like Godzilla, it's not an anime, um, or it is an anime, but it wasn't an originally anime. It was made shortly after World War Two, and the kaiju, which is what Godzilla is called, and other giant monsters of like natural disasters and just like mass destruction. They are representative of the atomic bombs and the trauma that the Japanese people felt after we dropped um, those two atomic bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And that's a really dreadfully beautiful representation of war and destruction and what nuclear warfare would be. And I can't speak to a lot of the inner workings of Japanese politics and their culture, But there's definitely, at least from my perspective, a slightly outside perspective, a general passivity of the Japanese people in politics and government. And obviously part of that is that they were prohibited from having a standing military for a long time because of what happened in World War II. But also now, it's just like there's definitely a ton of art and a ton of sentiments that come out of their culture and politics of kind of peacekeeping. And now I think they've started to rebuild their military and all that. But with So, transition from Godzilla and the Kaiju, there's this anime, super famous anime called Naruto. Some of you guys might be familiar with the Naruto run, where you're running and your arms are like flying behind your back. You're not pumping your arms, but they're like kind of like flailing behind you. Uh, Whatever. It's really pop culture. <laughs> if you're not super familiar with it, you might have, you might have seen like some anime nerds in high school or college <laughs> running around doing it. Uh, a lot of a lot of those people, you know, what they, they sacrificed a lot for people like me to come out today and admit that I love anime because they were getting ridiculed in high school. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, and you know, I wasn't I was in anime, but I was also an okay basketball player, so I, I wasn't anime running out there. But I, I really pay homage to those guys. But in Naruto, we're going to get to Naruto one later, but in Naruto, there are these tailed beasts that these villages, these societies are collecting to try to gain the most power. And originally, the guy, he made them and he had this concentrated power, but then he spread the tailed beasts around, nine of them, so that there would be a balancing of powers. And eventually, there's this kind of terrorist organization that's trying to collect all of them them for their own agenda, whatever, whatever. But th- these tailed beasts have been analogu- uh, analogous to uh, the, the atomic bombs and weapons of mass destruction. And they talk, they have a lot of these different ideas about what war is, the deterrence of nuclear warfare, and how these tailed beasts, and they even have something called the tailed beast bomb in the story, and how they. Um, how societies interact with them and why it's important for people like do we just spread them all apart do we have there's the hidden leaf village which is the main village do we trust them to be like the one true power and that's the village that we the protagonist is from naruto and that we kind of see it through their eyes we see them as the good guys but then there's these characters that come through and start changing our and naruto's perspective of what the leaf village is because they in order to become this prosperous village they dominated a lot of smaller villages and uh, committed like atrocities and did warfare on smaller villages that weren't even a part of the war, but they were just kind of in the way, they were just like a buffer state. So there's all these really, really big ideas that come out in anime, that even in a, when you watch the first 20 episodes of Naruto, it's like, oh, this is kind of like, it's kind of childish. I just watched it recently with Emily, and I was like, oh, I didn't remember it being like this kid-like. But then you get 20 episodes in, and there's all these ideas of like human beings being used as tools, and commodities, and how people manipulate broken people in, or, in order to serve their will, and all of these crazy ideas that really get you thinking. And as a child, there's a lot of these ideas that were really inspirational, but then also really eye-opening about how the world really works. And if you, as an adult, when you understand more of this, more about politics, more about life, you can really, really start appreciating a story like Naruto or especially Attack on Titan, which I think is just phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I think what you're talking to, talking, or what you were just talking on, uh, I mean, for one, I think that it is the The perspective as far as the nuclear weapons, uh, the allusions to nuclear weapons and mass destruction associated with them. I mean, it's just something I never thought of that the Japanese culture might have. <laughs> Obviously, this, uh, like a more unique perspective that that could can could and can and does educate people as far as. Uh, how people might avoid the use of them in the future uh, but beyond that too I think one thing that your conversation of Naruto and and it seeming childlike but there are all these underpinnings to it that reveal a lot of the structure of reality uh, reminds me of the importance of art um, more generally like I mean obviously this is the common science podcast right and we're talking about science but we're talking about science in daily life and asking questions and learning about the world and if those questions and learning about the world involves art and anime and then then why not and i think that it's yeah just uh cool to hear how much you have gleaned from naruto naruto or other anime anime shows and i think that more more people should uh whether it be i mean obviously there's all sorts of different mediums but i think that it is incredibly fascinating and one uh so to speak to the creativity and the art of an anime and so uh one article that i came across in my research was about this guy ian condry or condre i don't know i've been butchering last names lately uh but he's uh an associate professor of comparative media studies at mit and he wrote a book called the soul of anime which i have not read but i read this article about it and he talks about how anime or why anime is so popular and he brings up this concept of collaborative creativity and it seems to me based on your affection for anime and it seems like many others uh there's something about anime that really engages the the fans and also uh the artists and and there is like a give and take between the two so he talks about how in anime it's it's what sets what makes it so popular is this uh connection between the artists and the supporters of it and how there is so much give and take many ideas that the artists run with tend to be ideas that supporters have actually provided and uh it's it's sounds pretty scientific to me you're you're trying a lot and you're failing a lot and you're learning from your mistakes and figuring out what sticks and so yeah it's just uh i mean it is just for our listeners why why we're learning about okay. anime on the common science cast and and i think yeah i mean i've i've learned immense uh amounts just from uh hearing your perspective Dre. yeah
0: I just want to add to that too though, in that there is a lot of science behind learning and there's a lot of science behind emotional intelligence and learning emotional intelligence. And one of the number one ways to retain information is through hearing a story and engaging with a story. And when I hear these parallels to uh, the Hiroshima bombing, I think it makes a lot of sense then that there are learnings to be had, right? And that in any good story, there are learnings, um, whether they are like emotional or something like the, the bombing that took place and some of this deep tie to tyranny or some of these other themes that I'm, I'm hearing come through, that there is also science behind that, right? And that engaging in a story is a great way to learn. And so I think, probably there are a lot of learnings in anime that the whole community who engages with it might be more apt to understanding than people who don't. I mean, it's kind of a bold claim, but I think it's probably quite possible in different areas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, gaining a new perspective, I mean, gaining a new perspective from a culture that's storied and in its Mm -hmm. own right uh, that I don't know enough about, but I'd love to learn more.
1: Hmm. I think one thing that's cool I'm going to go actually I'm going to say what I was going to say before first So I got two points number one going back to your point about like kind of community and, and the interacting and stuff like that one interesting thing about mangaka is a lot of times they release their issues their chapters week by week mm. so every single fan of that manga or anime well let's go with manga is going to know when it's dropping going to know where they're at in the process et cetera, et cetera, and they're going to be um, continuing like a and a lot of times with these artists. A lot of um, guys, I know specifically Oda, who's the author of One Piece, which many consider to be the greatest anime of all time. It's been running for over 20 years now and uh, almost at a thousand episodes. It's wow. incredible. Um, wow. Yeah, the world movement he's done and the character development. The number of times that I've laughed out loud and cried to One Piece is, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, definitely. One of my favorite forms of art of all time. And probably my first, second, or third at worst anime of all time. It's, it's remarkable. And I've heard the manga is even better. But I haven't read it. But yeah, so they're releasing these manga, these uh, chapters one by one, week by week. And I know Oda's really engaging. And he'll have, like, he'll just, he, sometimes when he answers the questions, he'll answer as himself and just give all these key details that you would never see in the show. For example, uh. like... Monkey D. Luffy, the main character, the protagonist, he is made out of rubber. He ate a devil fruit, which this is a show about pirates. And you can eat devil fruits to have these magical powers. They're all different. No one has the same power. But you also lose the ability to swim if you do it. And it's mm. a, it's a world of pirates. So it's a pretty big drawback. But if you become good with your devil fruit, and his isn't especially... Shouldn't be especially powerful. There's, like, there's lightning and light and... Uh, magma and all these different things so his shouldn't be especially powerful nevertheless his he's a super creative fighter so he's just like it's really fun to watch how he gets himself out of these situations and how he bests people by being creative and by having will and perseverance But so he stretches a lot so there's one chapter where someone asked him like hey can Luffy stretch his whatever and Oda replied and he was like Luffy can stretch every part of his body and it's just like oh okay so and he's just like you know he's young but it's like once he gets to that point where he's looking for whatever you know he's well you know he's, he's good to go so just like questions like any that's just like obviously a ridiculous one but the engagement and the level that some manga gaka are really to, to entertain and indulge their, um, their audience is really amazing. And, uh, and sometimes he'll answer as like a character, like, he'll, like there's people who have asked about like women's measurements, stuff like that. And then he'll be like, oh yeah, like I asked Nami and she slapped me, you know, because <laughs> like, he's like embodying the character. So it is like a whole community. It is really interactive. And I'm not sure to what extent their audience might um, play a role in how the story progresses. Or perhaps if they figure out theories of what's going to happen, they might change that because they don't want them, the audience to know. But it is really, really cool. And now that I've gone on this for far too long, I completely forgot the other thing I was going to say. But yes, watch One Piece. It is amazing. One Piece.
0: Yeah, I think the idea of collaborative creativity is one that I resonate with. And I think it's one that we practice here, bringing more engagement and more people to the table to like ask questions and tell stories fosters creativity and growth. I think, and that seems true in, in the world of anime and in the world of common science. So that being said, like I would encourage any listeners or viewers to, to get involved, comment, like, whatever. Uh, and if it's not with this, let us know what anime is your favorite, and uh, maybe we can have a conversation about it in the, in, the, in the chat, but yeah, I thought that that was a phenomenal idea
2: and i'm glad you brought that yeah happy to i think yeah i mean it is the the wisdom of the crowds uh like i think there's quite a bit of truth to that and then beyond that too just if you think of creativity as smashing two different ideas together to create something new uh Yeah, I mean, I think just more the more minds behind it, uh, generally, it works out. Uh, But yeah,
0: and you haven't gotten way too fascinating. Like it's it's so (laughs) fun to hear you talk about it because it can you can just tell that you like it so much. Oh yeah, that it's just phenomenally engaging. So yeah, go on. It's I mean
1: yeah, I love it. I can watch like man, college. I used to binge watch so much anime. It was so fun. Anytime I could. Like, if it was doing the dishes or working on, like, any sort of manual project, if I could just shut my brain off and watch anime at the same time, I would. And there was countless nights where it was, like, 10-episode <laughs> nights, 20-episode up, too long. Like, got to work in the morning, got class at 8 a.m., up till 6 a.m. watching it. Um, like I said, it's my favorite art form. And, yeah, hopefully I love it for the rest of my life and I continue to grow and learn and find more and more anime that push my my thinking um, push My Creativity, they've definitely influenced like a lot of, if you know anime, once my novel series drops, you'll see those influences. Like There'll be a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, I can clearly see he was influenced by this, this, and this. It's it's very, very obvious, and I think one of the best parts about anime is some of the questions that they ask, that they bring up, that they make you think about. Um, for example, like with Naruto, it's like tribalism. It's like, are we are we right because we're us, and that's of course like as a superpower in the world. That's something that all Americans need to ask. And hopefully, as you come of age and you start learning about the world, you start thinking that way, and you're not just like yes, yeah, so we should we should have national pride. Obviously, we should be rah rah team America. America is one of the greatest countries to ever exist, and we've done a lot of amazing things, including the Bill of Rights, which we'll be talking about sometime soon in <laughs> another podcast <laughs> but uh, but at the same time it's like that doesn't mean that everything that we do on the world stage is correct and anime has made me question these things and it has opened my eyes and I've seen so many parallels with this and there's like I said there's so many different types of anime that a lot of the ones I watch are definitely like battle focused there's a lot even mm. though there's a lot of philosophical ideas there's a lot of fighting but there's anime that can all across the board it's just like television right if here you know that, it's not that you hate television. You just hate that one show. There's gonna be a plethora of shows you like. It's the same thing with anime. And there's another anime that some consider one of the best anime of all time. A lot of ratings say it's the best. It's called Full Metal Alchemist. And we had an episode on magic and mm-hmm. talked about alchemy. And there's this law of equivalent exchange in this anime. So it's kind of like a pseudo-scientific, like it's kind of like seeing magic under like a scientific method where they are, there are all these really strict rules and there is this scientific process, which is really, really cool to see. And they bring up all these, um, these concepts. For example, there's these seven homunculus or homunculi in it that embody like the seven deadly sins or whatever they're called, like Mm -hmm. greed and pride and all like the kind of worst of what humanity is and how those show who we are or parts of who we are. Is really, really cool in contrast to some of the main characters too. who, in the beginning, the main characters are trying to bring their mom back because mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. dies, obviously, tragically, and they're just kids. Or they're like 12 and 10, two brothers, Ed, um, Ed and Ale. And they're trying to use alchemy. They're kids, so they're just learning. And they're trying to use alchemy to bring their mom back, but it's a it's a magic system, a scientific system that they don't fully understand. And they don't fully understand that you don't, just like in many concepts that humans when it comes to death you don't try to bring me back from the dead like you go back to greek mythology and hades and tartarus and all these type of stories you don't try to bring people back from the dead it's usually a no-no yeah but there are two young boys who don't have a father and who lost their mother and they're heartbroken so they're, they're gonna do everything that they can and in the process ed who's the older brother and the leader he loses his arm and leg through the law of equivalent exchange and his brother loses his entire body and before his brother is goes on to the other side ed casts another spell another alchemy um that bonds his brother's spirit to a shell of armor like a knight and then the show that's where the show begins and then it goes on to them becoming alchemists which is like a legal political governmental official job and trying to find what's called the Philosopher's Stone, which they believe can do anything and can get his body back and get their mother back. And it's this whole story of coming of age, dealing with death, dealing with loss, dealing with your consequences. And then, like, what is human? Like I said, there's these homunculi who you find, who who are kind of, like, created from the worst parts of humanity. But even in these characters, like, greed and lust and uh, gluttony, etc., you can still find a lot of their humanity as the story goes on. And it's really, really fascinating. And it really goes, just asks the question, like, what does it mean to be human? And Ed and Al really struggle with that. Ed struggles with his, his kind of negligence of his care for his brother as the head of the household now. And then Al struggles with who he is as a being as he's just this disembodied spirit in a suit of armor. And it's like, what sort of rights does he have? What sort of, is he a person? What does he see when he looks in the mirror? And it's, I don't know, it's really, really fascinating. And it brings up so many great questions and big recommend.
2: Man, there's a fair few recommendations. So so we'll have to link them all in the show notes and and people will have to navigate them. But uh, yeah, I think, I mean, just the tones of alchemy and science definitely, definitely appeal to me. So I might have to check that one out as well. Uh, just to speak, so I thought this was bonkers when I was uh, learning about the reach of anime. Is so, uh, you'd have to tell me if you recognize this character, Dre. Okay. Uh, so in two thousand and four, when Japan sent water tr- water truck water tank trucks to help Iraq's reconstruction. Uh, they thought that their flag on the side of the trucks would not be recognized. The Iraqis would, would not understand that it was the Japanese coming. So instead, the Japanese government placed, or sorry, not instead, they also placed large stickers on the vehicle of Captain Subasa, a popular Japanese cartoon soccer player. Uh, so for the Iraqis to understand that these water tanks were from Japan, they slapped an anime character on the side of the trucks, which is just, I mean, I was reading that. I was like, I mean, hearing, hearing your, uh, reaction to it as well. I mean, it just, it's, it speaks to the, the power of collaborative creativity and, and, and just how meaningful these stories can be, uh, but yeah, I mean, full metal alchemist, all the things. I don't know if I'll be staying up till six a.m. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean that's all awesome stuff.
1: Maybe getting up at six a.m. to watch it.
2: Mm, uh <laughs> to be up. Yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah. Oh, here's a here's a fascinating one that. um... I'm curious what you guys what your opinions on it might be but in uh so we talked briefly about pokemon pokemon uh is the highest grossing like television series I believe ever mm-hmm. but do your common science and fact check that but regardless enormous enormously successful uh and in 2006, uh, China banned Pokemon from Prime Broadcasting Time, uh, as it did uh, the animated series The Simpsons, uh, to protect its struggling animation studios. Uh, I mean, I just thought that was eye-opening as well I mean like Lauren you talked about how you weren't allowed to watch Cartoon Network but then uh so Pokemon Go has also been uh banned in China too since 2007 um but I mean maybe that's speaking since
0: 2017
2: 2017 sorry uh yeah so that I'm thinking I mean that might come to somewhat from I mean there's this from my understanding, a rivalry between... Or a a historical one, at least, whether or not it is true today, rivalry between Japan and China. But I don't know if you have any other thoughts on on those factoids about anime and Pokemon.
1: I don't have any more. I think it's fascinating that Pokemon is... That big that they're just like you know they're trying to ban it to like <laughs> protect their interests and all that. I think it's really fascinating. I'm just
0: like I'm picturing some like old Chinese man like, <laughs> in the in this like I don't know building managing like airtime frequency and he's like oh like those <laughs> like those damn Pokemon watchers right like, <laughs> just like screwing with all these other frequencies because too many people are, like, lo- logged in to watch Pokemon or The Simpsons. And, yeah, it was, like, picturing this whole... I have a hilarious, like, video playing in my head of, yeah. what, of what that might have <laughs> looked like. And then the government was like, "Wow, we gotta ban it's
1: Yeah, that is that is pretty amazing. Shout out to Pokemon, man. I, I saw a meme the other day that said that uh, Pokemon Go was the closest thing we ever got to world peace. When everybody was running around playing, and it didn't matter who you were, where you're coming from, people were out in the streets late at night. I told you guys the story before we got on air, or at least eight, and I believe that I took a trip to Miami during the first couple of weeks of Pokemon Go, and it was like a Friday or Saturday night. And instead of going out and partying and having a great time and hitting, you know painting the city red and having a blast, we went to a park and caught Pokemon for like until like four in the morning. And there was thousands of people at this park. Wow overlooking downtown Miami. It was absurd. I was like, this is one of the most incredible experiences of my life and just such a testament to how powerful anime is and storytelling is. And I think storytelling is as old as humanity, right? Oh, yeah. And I just think now, especially now that books have kind of fallen out of favor with the masses, I think anime is the best storytelling medium in the world. Hmm. And I I believe that there's, like any story can be told with anime. I just don't think that I think anime tells, also tells stories that no other medium can.
0: Wow. And I at least would think that I think anime as a whole does that for sure. I would also argue that animation more generally can do that as well. I think of some of the more recent like Disney movies that have come out, such as the movie Soul, mm-hmm. and and if you haven't seen it, there may be some spoiler alerts, but that it gives and posits these big philosophical questions. Who am I? What? What is my soul? What makes me who I am? Um, and, yeah, I think animation in general more generally has the power to do that through storytelling in a much different... Much more different, more easy to follow way than mm-hmm. language can, mm-hmm. and I think that's so powerful.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's fa- like speaking to the different mediums and the pros and cons of the d- different mediums. Because I mean, there are to uh, every single one of them. Uh, there's a reason why textbooks are not an anime, uh, and uh, but one uh, distinction i found uh or historical uh comment i found about uh about the relationship between disney animation and anime was so in the 1960s manga artist and animator osamu tezuka uh, he adapted and simplified Disney animation techniques to reduce costs and limit frame counts in his productions. So there has been a lot of borrowing uh, in anime from Disney. Uh, the distinction the, of reducing the costs and limiting the frame counts has led to some of the uniqueness that anime possesses uh, such as like a focus on less movement because obviously less frames there's going to be less movement and more on the detail of the settings so as lauren mentioned there will be cut scenes occasionally in, a t- in attack on titan at least where they'll present a map of the layout of the area and the story uh
0: is that unique so to that show no that's very common in anime at least
2: okay. in that type of anime okay Fascinating. I mean, yeah, so that's just another, uh, a a tad more evidence uh, to that being a distinguishing factor or distinguishing characteristic of anime as opposed to Mm -hmm. Disney animation. But I agree with you, Lauren, as well, that animation as a whole has a lot of uh, capacity to teach teach and, and convey messages. I agree. Yeah.
1: I agree. There's a true beauty in storytelling in that and in all animation. And I think, so one of the things that's so unique about anime slash animation in general is your ability to express yourself. So, as you, you both of you would have seen, but you watched the entire season, in like some of Aaron Yeager and then Armin's expressions,
0: who are characters of so Attack on I mean. Titan. So yes, on
1: Titan. Sorry, the, yeah, two of the main characters of Attack on Titan they're so expressive and jarring and heart-wrenching, but they would be pretty hard to convey slash perhaps out of place in some instances in a live-action show or film where we don't really act like that. Mm -hmm. But we might feel something like that, but we don't really express it to that extent. Mm -hmm. But anime does express it to that extent, and it definitely awakens a very primitive, primal... Uh, reptilian brain part of us that really um, invigorates and touches a lot of anime watchers
0: so if you've not seen anime I can just put a a few words to I think the picture that Dre is describing because even in the 6 or 7 or 10 I don't know how many episodes I watched but however many I did watch that became very evident to me and as someone who I, I would consider myself quite emotionally illiterate, that paired with these powerful illustrations and a really jarring storyline made it challenging for me to watch. But let me describe. So we've all experienced a time in our life where we have some inner turmoil. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt, maybe you don't know, but that feeling in the bottom of your stomach when, like, you just feel like things are not right with the world. And it might manifest as, like, a tight knot in your stomach. You might feel like you're going to puke, but it's, like, inner turmoil. That's how I might describe it. I remember a scene in in the first couple of episodes where the main like, young boy, the character, I don't recall his name, is experiencing maybe something like this, and as a viewer, I could resonate with it probably even more than I could with another person, because as Jay was explaining, it was the whole focus of that frame, right? You see a boy, and you see, like, lines or circles within his eyes that show, like, maybe, like, crazy bloodshot, and, like, worry lines on his face but also like zigzag lines outside of his head right and in addition to that you see the hair standing up on his neck so like it might be just this close-up frame that if you tried to put into a live action shot wouldn't make sense you'd be looking at a zombie right and maybe a zombie's not in the film but in this instance you could just feel and sense that, like, pit of struggle that this character was feeling probably way more than, I mean, I think you would feel in, like, a live-action shot. And, like, maybe my ability to extrapolate or remember that moment is because I am so removed from anime, but this experience that you're describing, I totally resonated with in some of those moments where you have these, like, close-up depictions of what a character might be feeling and it's expressed in a picture.
2: I wonder if it has that expression in a picture as opposed to live action, if this phenomenon or hypothesis that you two are positing that, uh, that animation is more capable of and correct me if I'm wrong in in terms of what you guys are describing, but is more capable of of conveying emotion, just more generally. Uh, Like, if it has to do with stripping away some of the distractors of a human body, uh, like I think about how many biases that people have, all of these things uh, that can play into our reading of somebody else's uh, situation in, in, in the context of a live action or just walking down the street. Uh, and like if stripping away that and presenting an animated character instead uh, makes that connection more possible. Uh, so that's like, like between the viewer and the, the character Uh, as opposed to, like, the viewer and an actor, like a human actor. Um, Yeah, I'm just, like, throwing that out there as an idea. Uh, Yeah, and I don't know if that resonates or not with you, too.
1: Yeah, perhaps. I heard an interesting idea that one of the reasons why anime is so effective, engrossing, and can communicate emotions so well is because it isn't live action, specifically. And we can can go into how great an actor has to be in order to make you feel that, and the voice actor in anime has to be really good too, but the drawing can possibly convey that and going into pretty much everything Lauren said more effectively than most, like 99.9% of actors ever could. That's one thing, but just in general, anime versus live action. So we think of live action as being more realistic. But especially, even if you get into, like, you don't even have to get into full fantasy, but even if you get into something like Fast and Furious, it's so unrealistic while it's trying to be realistic that it's like, it's almost like you can't suspend your disbelief. It's like, okay, like, I can't take a lot of this seriously. And also, uh-huh. as you're seeing different actors in different films and shows, you also are like, oh, like, that guy is this Sounds guy, up. right? Yeah. Like, that's not, that's a real, like, that's not real, because this is real. Like, he's yeah. real. But when you watch anime, like, Aaron Yeager, the protagonist of Attack on Titan, he doesn't exist anywhere else. He is who he is. He's going through this. And this is all he is. And you're not thinking about like Obviously, if you can tell with the voice actor, you might get taken out of that a little bit. But in general, that is who Aaron Yeager is. He's experiencing that burden. He's experiencing the death of his mother. He's experiencing all of this trauma. And there is no other Aaron Yeager. And he's expressing it fully And there's, and as soon as you can suspend your disbelief in the fact that this is an animation or an anime, then you're fully engrossed and you don't have a lot of the other stuff that live action, um, can take you out of the suspended disbelief, which that was an interesting idea that Eric.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm so fascinating. I'm floored. I mean, yeah, it's just this extremely fascinating position to take. And it makes so much intuitive sense. That you would be able to connect to the cartoon for lack of a better word but it, in some ways it is but you, that you'd be able to connect to the illustration because yeah everything else is ripped away wow
1: yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a couple more recommendations so yes watch Fullmetal Alchemist that sounds okay. cool to you Attack on Titan so Attack on Titan was is credited With bringing anime to the brink, I keep touching your mic, I apologize. With bringing anime to the brink of uh, mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And they just came out with part, the first part of their final season at the beginning of this year, and people were going nuts. And we had a huge wave of people who never watched anime be like, What is this show? And a lot of people were calling it the Game of Thrones of anime. And Aiden, I'm sure, and you probably, too, can know why it's called Game of Thrones anime. Personally, Attack on Titan, I'm watching Game of Thrones right now. I'm binging the crap out of it. And I have watched four and a half seasons. And there's no shade to it. It's an amazing show. And I'm sure the book is way better. But even Attack on Titan, to me, is such a far superior show. And a work of art. For so many reasons that we've talked about already in this show. In this episode. So Mm -hmm. if you like Game of Thrones and you want to give anime a shot, think about Attack on Titan. It's amazing. If you like... So anime has inspired a ton of um, live-action movies. So if you like Inception, that was inspired by... Or that was partly inspired by Paprika, which is an old anime. Uh, If you like Avatar, that was partly... There's parts that were inspired by Princess Mononoke, a lot of it. And also there's parts inspired by a really famous anime called Ghost in the Shell. Which is also a live action with Scarlett Johansson. Don't watch that. <laughs> watch <laughs> the anime. Ghost in the Shell also had a decent influence on The Matrix as well. Mm. So if you're into that, and then
0: Ghost on the Show,
1: Ghost in the Shell, Shell, okay. yes. And there's an anime again many consider it the best anime of all time, or at least it's up there. It's called Death Note. And I want to mm. pose a question to you guys. It's I don't care who you are. Big recommend. It is it is a suspense. Psychological thriller.
0: Okay.
1: And so Death Note brings up, so in the story, the main character, Light Yagami, he is presented with, gifted, a book called The Death Note by a Shinigami, or like a god of death, comes to the human realm, and is like, here's this book. Let me see what you do with it. The book works like this. Anybody's name that you write into it they're gonna die. And you can choose how and when they die. Like Yagami is a prodigious teenager high school student and he's gifted this. His dad is, his dad is the head of the police force and the story is us following and seeing what he's doing with this. So this brings up some questions such as it explores the idea of like divine wrath and whether humans should have this power to make these judgments of life and death. Now I'm posing the question to you guys. If the Death Note was presented to you, would you ever use it, or would you give it to anybody who you think could use it? Better than yourself.
2: A hard question <laughs> uh i would like to think that i would not use it that doesn't necessarily mean that i would not use it i guess because yeah i mean i i am human and like power can be corrupting
0: my gut reaction is that I would hide it mm. and I probably would not tell anyone about it and I would carry the like carry the weight of of this, probably around with me, but I would also question it like, If I don't write a name, won't someone else write a name? Like, even if I have the book, because death happens to everyone and nobody seemingly has the power to choose, which probably implies that you were only ever going to die how you were going to die So, like, I think I would struggle with the philosophy of free will, some having that power and saying, like, if I think I should write someone's name in the book, should I just write someone's name in the book? Because that's the only way they were ever supposed to die. Like, this, this I don't know, loophole of, like, what is real? Is there free will? If I was given this book, is it my job to write names in the book? Like... I think there would be some burden, um, and I would like to believe that I wouldn't, but I don't feel confident because all I know is that I would hide it and that I wouldn't tell anyone and that I would like toil alone with these questions probably for some time, and then probably ultimately write names in the book. I mean. I think one of the biggest fears that people have is, like, dying in some inhumane or scary way. Like, the power to bestow peaceful death could probably be used for a lot of good. The power to bestow death, though, could absolutely be used for a lot of bad Super challenging question, though. Like, if you asked me in ten minutes, I might say something different. (laughs) And I'm now a little scared, but, like, I put my heart on my sleeve a little bit. Don't hate me in the comments. People are vicious. But, yeah.
1: Awesome.
2: Yeah, I think... Yeah, I mean, just, you put words to a lot uh that i was feeling as well uh yeah i mean i just i think it would it would be a just a significant burden that i would probably not telling anyone about can we just make a pact
0: really quick if we ever get the book we are agreeing that we would tell us three
2: <laughs> we can we just the death make off? a
1: quick pact yeah, that yeah that sounds
2: like a great great <laughs> uh a great deal um i i'm in for that one
0: <laughs> welcome scientists what about you what would you do if you were given the book that could bestow death and you could choose when and how and whom could die how would you handle that power Maybe you'll have to tune into that anime and, and learn a little bit about that struggle and what that might look like. And maybe you'll have to tune into something else, a different a different area of anime to, to learn also about a different story and maybe some about yourself, too.
1: Hey, Common Scientists! Hope you enjoyed the cast. Thanks for investing in Common Science. We hope it brought as much value to you as it did to us.
2: To learn more, smash the subscribe button. And visit our website, commonscientists.com, where you can read our blog, join our email newsletter, and follow us on social media.
0: Finally, if you like what we have to say, you can absolutely support us on Patreon. You can always use more support. You can navigate there also from our website, commonscientists.com, scientists with an S, so that we can continue cultivating a community of common scientists.